Hi, I'm Mal, and I too wish I could fly away from my problems. <laughs> Hi, I'm Maddie, and a baby crow has puked on me multiple times. And behold, manga. <laughs> so, our manga for this month was Plus Anima, which is wonderful. By Natsumi Mukai. Mukai? Mukai? Mukai. I should have looked that up. <laughs> um, so this is a story by Natsumi Mukai, is what I would assume. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, that's right. This is her second major series after Fortune Quest L, and she also wrote Nui, and I don't know what either of those are, but that's what was listed on Wikipedia. I like to, with manga authors, when they do their little thing at the end about the production or whatever, I like to look at what they draw themselves as, and she draws herself as, like, a little dude with a hat that has cat ears, and I think that's just swell. <laughs> um, Plus Anima ran from 2000 to 2004 in Dengeki Comic Gao, which is a shonen comic, and it was localized by Tokyopop, and now it's out of print and impossible to find. Rest in peace. Super out of print. <laughs> really, it's, like, the most out of print. Like, dead, buried in the ground in the Arizona desert, out of print. <laughs> So I think we're going to start with a little bit of a content warning. Um, what I had down here was child abuse, endangerment, and violence. It is a children's manga, and the children go through it. Um, there's a weird chapter where that involves child marriage. Um, there's some t mentions or talks of suicide, and there's a lot of racism analogy, especially against the indigenous analog that they have in there. Yeah, no I think that covers it. Okay, so Al, I'm going to need mm -hmm. you to summarize this. Um, so Plus Anima is kind of broken up into story arcs around its four major characters. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do a general intro and then 30 seconds for each character's arc. So that's way more time than I gave you last time. So if you do a bad job, I'm going to blame you for that. <laughs> um, we're just going to go for it. We're going to go for it. All right. I'm going to go for it. Count you in and then you you're going to do your, your initial little thing there. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. So Plus Anima is a story about a group of kids traveling in a world um in this world people have the ability to gain like animal like i don't know what you would say powers um basically they can grow wings or like um turn into like mermaids and whatnot so it's just a group of kids traveling in this world and they're all um plus anima that's 30 seconds <laughs> Good. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's so. pretty much it, actually. Um, I just decided I'm going to give you 20 seconds per character. Um, we're all adults here. We can do the hard, the hard thing. This, this is going to be spoilers now, right? Yes. For the character yes. Arc? Sorry. From now on, we're talking spoilers. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to give you 20 seconds to give us Nana's character arc, which is the first one that happens. Okay. And go. Nana is a bat plus anima, which was caused by um, her dad chasing her in the woods with a knife and her developing these skills and they meet her with a group of runaway girls and she's ostracized from the group because she's a blessed anima and she likes to steal, steal things. Perfect. That was exactly 20 seconds. I'm very impressed. Okay. Um, yes. Now, <laughs> can you manage to do Senri's arc in 20 seconds? We will try. Ready? <laughs> Three, two, one, go. So Senri is a bear plus anima and we will go more into he is a kimunkur which has a whole um religion spiritual thing going on with them basically 
he has difficulty making memories, so he carries around a book and is relatively quiet, but it's a very strong dude. Nice dude. So a little bit mysterious on Senri there, but we're going to get into that when we talk about some of the yeah. other stuff going on, because it requires a lot of explanation. Um, yep. Can you do Husky's whole thing in 20 seconds? I think I can do Husky's. We'll try, oh, right? Yeah, okay. Summarize the garbage boy. Go. <laughs> so Husky is a fish plus anima. He is actually a prince of Sayland who turned into a fish plus anima when another queen tried to kill him. And he meets um, the other characters at a circus. <laughs> you finished Husky in like 10 seconds. You're like, yep. And he almost died. Okay. Um, <laughs> good. That's good. That's the garbage boy. Um, and then can you do Kuro? Ready? Set. Okay. Go. So, Ku- how- wait. Let's get an agreement to how we're going to uh, pronounce You made me name. pause the timer. You made me pause the timer. I say, I say, I read it as Kuro. Because it's like Kuro? two O's, which makes the ooh sound. Should we do that one of each? Sense. I say Kuro and you say Koro and one of us is right. <laughs> we can try ku- Kuro, Koro, Kuro. No, no, no. You know, follow your gut and I'll follow mine. And... <laughs> okay. We're just gonna wing it. Well, okay, ready? Uh-huh. Wing it. Uh-huh. That was so funny. <laughs> okay. Alright, three, up. Let's two, go. one, go. So, Kuro, Kuro is a crow plus anima and he was a crow plus anima since he was born um and unbeknownst to the others he has been sent out by a research facility to gather other plus anima for some experiments yeah that's it yeah all right cool there's our summaries so so i first read this as a recommendation from my friend whose name is al and um, we were 13 and i had only read one manga which was the pokemon manga and this was the second one i read and then the third one i read was naruto so that's kind of where i'm at with this series um i love it very much it's very near and dear to my heart but it was interesting reading it again as an adult yes for both of us our like introduction to a sense to manga was like pokemon but like a real like manga series for you was like plus anima and for me it was like a different series that i will reveal later oh, oh but, um, okay <laughs> it's a surprise but, yeah i actually did realize that this was technically like your second manga it was ever. it's because you gave me a Aww. list of ones to read and then i alphabetized mm-hmm. them and this one was at the top because <laughs> i'm a freak about lists even when i was a small child uh, what about you? How'd you find this? <laughs> Make me reveal oh. um, my past. We're gonna avoid that for the sake of this podcast. But um, handed handed it in a manila a child, envelope by a mafia boss. <laughs> Let's just say Plus Anima was one of those series that I discovered as a young child scrolling through the library and other places <laughs> scrolling through the library <laughs> okay you're making this sound so much sketchier than it to be. <laughs> but it's good yeah you're a librarian now and you can't represent that about yourself i understand that would be that would be bad and wrong i just can't do it anymore <laughs> just is what it is <laughs> not about that life anymore man yeah, yeah no it was amongst the first but it wasn't the very first manga that I read, yeah. you know? That makes like, sense. It was one me. of the ones I read when I was, like, 11, and I really liked it mm-hmm. enough to recommend it to you, clearly. The reason I think this story is so near and dear to my heart, sandwiched in between those other ones with huge casts, is because <laughs> it has this 
theme that makes it one of my favorite kinds of stories. It's children who are found family rising up above the adults. It's got all these atmospheric, like, one-off chapters that fill my heart with love. Mm -hmm. And ongoing story that's driven by the characters, really. Which is my favorite thing. I love seeing the characters all become good, squishy friends. Um, I love a ragtag team of children. I think this team in particular is very interesting because they're all kind of different ages and they're at different points in their development. And they're also all very different personality types, but they still just become really good friends later on. And it makes me really happy. And they've all been rejected by society and they're just going on a journey and an adventure together. So I'm not looking. I realized I never actually like looked at their ages. Oh, I have this. I always guessed. <laughs> okay, so Senri is referred to as like sixteen, seventeen a lot, and mm-hmm. the others. He's definitely a teenager. Yeah, he's a teenager. He's the oldest one. Um, the others, it never gives a specific age, but if you look in the back of I think volume one, it gives the years mm-hmm. they were born. So Senri is four years older than Kuro, and Kuro is one year older than Husky and Nana, who are both the same age. So they're approximately. 17, 13, and then the two youngest are 12. Okay. Which is quite the age range. (laughs) Lots of development going on between 12 and 17. But um, they're all kind of innocent, not used to the world. Little babies. They're very just like... They really are. They're just babies. They're good kids. They're just traveling around the world. (laughs) Nobody's asking them, you know, where their parents are. Yeah, they get jobs, which is weird that child labor is just sort of fine. It's funny because they, a lot of the time, they're talking about how they need money, but they always find a way anyway. It's never a huge stress. Like, they have something to sell or whatever. It's very true. I just really love how they start off kind of annoyed by each other. Husky's whole thing is he hates (laughs) girls, so he's, like, really hating on Nana. Husky is the stereotypical anime rival, kind of chagrined by everybody. Um, Senri is the silent type, doesn't talk too much. Kuro's very happy-go-lucky, and Nana's the girl. (laughs) But she's more than that, but that's kind of the stereotypes I could fit them in. I really love the way they play off of each other, and where it Mm. starts off where they all kind of rub each other the wrong way, and by the end, they're such good friends that the very last scene of them um, kind of in the storyline is that Kuro is very sad, and his friend's save his life in a way and they all hug and love each other and there's all of their arcs pretty much end by one of them being saved by their friends and their friendship Mm -hmm. and it's just really important to me it makes me so happy (laughs) so one of the things i had in my notes was that um kuro basically reminds me of um ang or ong oh yeah don't say ong oh my god are you m night shovel (laughs) God, it's one of those ones where once it's pronounced wrong, I know it it's pronounced. One of them is pronounced wrong, and then I don't remember which one is pronounced right oh, anymore. Oh no! Oh no! God, but it's Soka. Egg. Yeah, it's definitely. Egg. It's okay. But we no, all like, know he very like reminds me very much of of that character where yeah, he's like kind of sure. naive and childlike and innocent, but there's also like a real maturity and almost a trauma behind it. Mm-hmm. His thing is, he really doesn't like to upset people. So he, mm-hmm. even at the cost of himself, like if somebody tells him they're upset by something he's doing, instead of trying to talk through it, he'll just kind of go off on his own and cry. I think there's that chapter with Shadow, this guy named Shadow, who's making yeah. a glider, and he gets mad at him, um, saying, you've had wings this whole time, and you didn't tell me, and it's just... Mm-hmm. That's the first time we really see Koro sad, is 
that Shadow tells that him to conflict. go away and lashes mm-hmm. out. And then Husky comes and saves him and says, <laughs> go back to him. Like, obviously, you can help him and he'll be grateful for it. So just them building each other up all the way along. And it makes me very I really like how, like, the beginning of the journey, you see them having conflict in terms of just their personalities clash type thing. Mm -hmm. And then as the story goes on, they kind of, like, learn each other's flaws Mm -hmm. and learn, like... They they build an understanding between each other. Mm -hmm. And I really liked... It's in the last arc between 9 or 10. Nana has a flash forward to, like... Oh, yeah. Them in the future where they're all grown up. And I liked how it's not, like... Her imagining herself with one of them, but her continuing into all adulthood with yeah. all of them. And, I mean, should we, we should talk. She has a little bit of a crush on Husky by the end that he has mm-hmm. no part in. Um, <laughs> so we've talked about the very easy stuff to love about this series. Um, should we get into so, some of the hard stuff? Yeah, let's get start. So let's start off with the general setting of Plus Anima. Is you have this, I guess it's kind of like a kingdom but its cities are very much isolated within themselves mm-hmm. the communities there yeah, that's true. so you have the giant kingdom of Ast- asteria yeah that's what i would say yeah asteria there we go but again like small villages small communities because it's very much almost like a prairie with forests and then you get the mm-hmm. mountains and it's like a european western type fantasy setting i would say yeah for sure and then you have salad which is basically your desert country kingdom so if you read a lot of Western fantasy, you know the desert country and the stereotypes and the racist connotations that come up with that depiction that also continues in the series, unfortunately. Yeah, I want to say it's and not then, based on skin tone. They all are kind of pasty. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there's no, like, dark-skinned characters, no. I don't think. They're all... Which has its own problems, but at least they're not being depicted in a bad way. Um, Yeah. And then you have the Kimun Kerr, which are basically fantasy indigenous people, specifically Mm -hmm. um, North American indigenous people, Yeah, I would say. And they live in the middle on Moss Mountain, which divides the two countries. And I think both countries have a monarchy, don't they? Yes. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, but I think the only difference between the monarchies is that the one... I don't think it's ever mentioned if he has a wife at all, actually. They don't go much into the Asterian monarchy, but the Sayland yeah. one... Because um, that's um, where it's like a harem. backstory happens. Yeah. It's a harem. But again, it's like the desert country. So the desert country equals harems <laughs> equals slavery equals all the negative stereotypes uh, that fantasy likes to put in the desert country but yeah so it's the king and he's got a whole bunch of wives who are the queens and then just a whole bunch of children and husky is the eldest son and that's why we kind of go into that is that's part of husky's character arc as they go there mm-hmm. so i wanted to or... start out talking about asteria which is where the story starts mm-hmm. so it's interesting because plus anima can be seen as a racism analogy, but it's not so straightforward and clumsy as in, like, usually with children's things. Um, It's a plot point from early on that they're discriminated against, um, both from adults and from other children, but the way they're treated isn't, like, an exact one-to-one of a racism metaphor. They're not specifically hated. Um, They're mostly just hidden, which 
so there are people who love and idolize them. There are people who specifically they'll see Kuro as unlucky because he has black wings. There are people who are confused and haven't heard of them. Um, they get often mistaken for mythical creatures. Yeah. Like Husky gets mistaken for mermaids. There's a whole arc where some guy falls in love with him because he thinks he's a mermaid. Mm-hmm. Even when he's introduced, he's like a mermaid princess. Yeah. And I want to preface this by saying that the two of us are both white, so I would definitely be interested to see... This series isn't analyzed very much, it's not talked about very much, I would be interested to see what a person of color would have to say about that. Um, The best I can do is with the ways that I've learned. Um, Still learning, obviously. But it reminds me of kind of the conversation around modern day racism, where it's like, I don't see color. And just trying Mm -hmm. to pretend it doesn't exist in order to equalize everybody, which obviously isn't how equality works. Mm -hmm. Um, The plus animal have to hide, and they can't be themselves authentically, or else people react in a whole variety of ways. And sometimes they won't be given jobs because they're plus anima. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will kind of fetishize them because they're flushed animal yeah. like fly does uh fly is the asterian is he a military commander no igneous is um, a military he's commander. the king's nephew the king's nephew and he yeah. is really into plus anima um for ways we'll probably talk about later on um i just wanted to point out <laughs> there was a funny moment i took a picture of um where it's very early on mm-hmm. fly and igneous are talking igneous is a military commander and he's racist to the Kimunkers. Yep. And because but, Asteria and Kimunker yeah. had a conflict way back when. Yeah. And the Kimunker are very intertwined with Plus Anima because originally it was said that Plus Anima were only Kimunker. Um, so Igneous hates Plus Anima, he hates Kimunker, and flies like. I understand why you hate the Kamunker, but you shouldn't hate all plus anima, which is literally that <laughs> meme of like, I can excuse racism, but I draw the line as animal cruelty. You can excuse racism? <laughs> like, it was literally the exact meme. <laughs> it was very good. Oh anyway. <laughs> um, because yeah. the thing with plus anima in general, the first three volumes is kind of like them as a group. It's like short stories of them mm-hmm. traveling around Asteria. And then I think in, like, the fourth volume, um, you finally get introduced that, I think before it suggested that um, the Kim and Kerr, it's only the Kim and Kerr who are plus anima, mm-hmm. and that people think that there must be some Kim and Kerr blood getting into, like, the Asterian people that is causing some of the Asterian people to turn into plus anima. Mm-hmm. But then it's revealed in volume four that if somebody is in a near-death situation... Yeah, specifically they, a child. Uh, yeah, they evolve into a plus anima. Like a Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's kind of later revealed that the plus anima is not, like, something that's within humans. It's more like an animal spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you given know, to that, them like, by a nearby them? animal. Mm-hmm. So it's like an animal spirit... And then when you look at that, you look at how the Kim and Kerr, which have a different relationship with the animal spirits, it's the plus animal in general is drawing from um, a specific indi- uh, like indigenous tribe's mm-hmm. mythology of um, spirit animals. Yeah. So... Which is also an issue because that's also not the author's religion to yeah. be using that as like not a plot the thing. Heritage. But obviously it's not good representation because it's not by Mm -hmm. an indigenous person and I can't fully comment but it's another thing the story 
since plus anima come from the Kimunker, the story is so intertwined with it that mm-hmm. it's something I would love to see an indigenous person talk about. But again, there's really the, not much analysis. The out thing there. with plus anima is that it's definitely been influenced by um, indigenous cultures, like specifically North American indigenous cultures. How do I put this? The way that Japan and just that area have, they've been introduced to that culture through white Americans coming over. Mm. And so they're kind of like regurgitating stereotypes that they've been fed to by white Americans. Mm. So it may not come off as specific ill intention, but it's definitely, again, they're regurgitating stereotypes and they're kind of commodifying culture that doesn't belong to them. Yeah. Which is That's an true. issue. Yeah. I really do like Senri as a character. So I think we should oh, go no, into... Oh like, I really do love... Yeah, his arc Senri. is that in mm-hmm. the Kimunker, I guess, tradition, to be a plus anima, you fully transform into the animal instead of just getting wings or an arm or something. And mm-hmm. it's sort of like a ceremony, I think, where the animal will yeah. give you the spirit um, but Senri went after this bear that was really aggressive. aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> really aggressive bear. Um, his dad ended up dying in the altercation, and so he has a part of his dad's anima as well as this aggressive bear. Um, so mm-hmm. his thing is that he can transform his arm into a bear, but then he gets out of control and he has to pass out in order to calm himself. Or he can see his friends, which is also lovely. (laughs) Um, uh, But the trauma of seeing his dad died made it so he can't form memories anymore. Mm -hmm. He's got a book that he presses flowers and feathers and things into that he finds along his journey. And that's how he kind of remembers his friends and the places he's been. I think there's a big Mm -hmm. problem with his past in Sayland. That's where it kind of gets... Yeah, pretty dicey. Do you want to get into Sayland because that was kind of a uh, mm. yeah, it's not great. So in Asteria plus Anima are hidden more so. Um, in Sayland, they're enslaved. Yeah, they're literally just slaves. So Senri's background takes him to be the slave of this lady named Cristalla, and she's the myth of the good slave owner. You know, she treats yeah. them nicely. She gives him a job that he can do and she feeds them and takes care of them but she's still owning people it's still and it's even more of a mess because then it gets revealed that she's like the sister of the king yeah so, so she very much could do something <laughs> she just she's in a position where she could do something and then she chooses not to but yeah. she continues like being the good slave owner uh-huh and since we're on that topic it reminds me of near the end of the arc because they meet this other plus anima whose name I don't remember, but you do. With black oh, hair who tries to like... Kazana. Yeah, the him. So Kazana is this plus anima who tries to kill the king because he wants to like free the plus anima slaves. Mm-hmm. And then the main group there saves the yeah, king. Yeah, our heroes save the then, king. Because um, um, I guess they don't want to show the children letting a man die even though he's a bad dude who has slavery in his kingdom. Right? <laughs> and then it's revealed that if the king were to die, then the next prince and then, like, the next prince would just inherit, so it would yeah. never be Cristalla. 
anyways, but at the very end of the arc, um, what was it? Kazana? Um, says that he is going to go work for Cristela at her plantation. No, what? <laughs> I missed that. Oh, <laughs> Did you? No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, so the group is returning back to Asteria. And they meet up with Kazana, and he says that he's going to go um, to Cristela's plantation to lay low for a bit. And that the plus anima Cristela gathers work on her plantation. And a lot of the guys lose their plus animal while working there. Yeah. You don't need plus animal once you're fulfilled. Yeah. So apparently working in a plantation makes you fulfilled <laughs> enough to lose your plus anima. Yeah, so the idea is, is once you're fulfilled and you don't need your plus anima anymore, it goes away. So they're kind of presenting uh, they're that working at a, pl- a plantation as a slave oh, is a good thing. No. It's kind of oh, like, Oh, mm. no. Oh, no. I totally missed that. Okay. Like, the Just, idea is oh she's not God. mistreating them. She's, like, they're free to go whenever. But obviously, if they go, they're going to be in this world where they're being sold. Um it's just, it's not a good... It's messy. Like, it's real messy. It introduces slavery, but it doesn't actually say anything about slavery, and it ends up presenting it almost, like, as a good thing, which oh, is God. very, very not. I mean, it's not presenting um, the slavery as a good thing. It's just saying, like, as, there could be like, people within the system who are good, and as we know, you can't is, destroy a system from within the system. <laughs> so, which is just not yeah yeah i was glad when that part of the just, arc was over yeah it's one that was not handled well at all no should we change the subject <laughs> i'm getting depressed and the next thing is uh masculinity and femininity which they this is series has many interesting things to say about that <laughs> um yeah so all of the oh main characters kind of have their own way of dealing with the idea of masculinity and femininity. I don't know if it's even intentional for some of them, but it's very interesting. I guess Kuro's kind of the happy-go-lucky, boys will be boys, but also he's very cutesy and kind of, you want to squish him, you know, like a feminine mm-hmm. kind of quality to him. Um, Senri is the big, strong, strong, silent type. But also he has feminine interests. He likes cooking. He likes looking after the younger ones, you know? Yeah. And where it really starts to be brought forward is with Husky and Nana. So Husky... Mm-hmm. Husky, <laughs> Husky hates is women. a woman hater. He is also a pretty boy, is constantly mistaken for as a woman. Yes. Which he really hates because he was also bullied about it as a child amongst the other princes. Yeah, when you first find Husky somebody dressed him up as a woman and that's how he's making money is by being the mermaid princess in a stage show and he hates that and he hates women but he's very easily mistaken for one he doesn't hate women he's just 12 (laughs) he's one of those ones where he's kind of like he hates women and it has more so to do with his upbringing amongst the queens who were very cutthroat costly yeah he was talking about how the queens are always bickering about clothes and stuff or putting needles in our candy i'm like whoa those are two very different things (laughs) one is trying to kill children uh and then we have nana who's very feminine she is very much like a girly girl she loves flowers and baking jewelry out of like acorns and stuff like that and she's really good with the needle where she's like constantly redoing her clothes yeah her clothes change a lot and it's always very Mm -hmm. cute and pretty I think it's interesting because her trauma comes from her Mm -hmm. femininity too, but she doesn't reject it like Husky did. 
she lived in a small cabin in the woods with her mom and her dad, and her dad was an alcoholic, abusive guy, and mm-hmm. she accidentally was knitting, and she stabbed him with, like, a knitting tool by accident when she was trying to hold him back, yeah. and that's where she ended up being chased through the woods and got her bat plus anima and had to leave. And she also, like, coming from a poor background, deep in the woods type, she really likes fancy things, pretty things, like mm-hmm. jewelry. Which Husky can have as much of as he wants, but he rejects it. Mm-hmm. And so they clash in a lot of really interesting ways. What I love about Nana is by the end of this series, she mm-hmm. there's the moment in Senri's character arc where he's going berserk and she hides, and then she feels really bad about it later, saying she should have been there for her friend. And after that, she takes a way more active role. She is a bat flying around with Kuro a lot more, looking out yeah. for her friends. There's a moment where they're in the cave trying to get to Sayland where Husky gets lost and she's the only one in the cave who can help him. So she goes out and finds him and then she gets scared by some gross fish in the <laughs> pond they're in and then Husky helps her and they help each other. And they have a lot of love for each other even though they hate what each other stand for. <laughs> yeah. She's super into cutesy things, but she very much has, like, a strong backbone, which has allowed her to continue to survive. Mm -hmm. It even goes further back to when she tried to stop her dad from hitting her mom. Mm -hmm. Like, she's got strength within her, you know? Yeah. Like, she's not a weak character by any means. No. She's just girly, but she's... She doesn't have to reject all of her girliness in order to be strong. In order to be a strong character. Aw, I love that for her. Because I remember the first time I read this, I was a teenager. And you know, when you're like a young teen girl, you kind of want to reject the girly girl characters because you're not like other girls. But I have a lot of love for Nana now. I really appreciate her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do we want to talk about the uh, uncomfortable chapter with um, Nana and Husky? Oh, yeah. How Husky should be a trans boy but isn't. (laughs) (laughs) So... There is a chapter, it's one of those ones, I don't remember what my initial thought was when I, like, originally read it, probably something like, not caring too much about it kind of thing, like, I don't, I just, I don't remember that. Reading it now... When you read a lot of manga as a kid, you get used to some kind of weird, a certain level of weirdness around people's bodies. You definitely get exposed to some things that you probably should be at a young age. That definitely has happened to me. Yeah. Where... I've read manga that I definitely should not have oh. at that age because they did separate. That's why separate. you stick to the list that Al gives you. So in this chapter, Nana decides that Husky must secretly be a girl because he doesn't bathe with um, Koro and Senri. So and he looks clearly so he's pretty hiding. and he likes jewelry. Mm-hmm. Which means so he clearly, must be a he girl. must secretly be a girl. So the entire chapter is essentially Nana trying to get Husky to admit that he's actually a girl, and she ends up roping like Senri and Koro into it. And then I guess there's a scene where he gets mad at Nana for some reason and leaves, and then he gets accosted by these guys who think he's a girl as well. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, Nana and the other two come in. And then they, like, save him or something. And then he gets knocked out and he wakes up in a dress. And it's because Nana has forced him into this girly thing. Yeah. When he was knocked out, it gets revealed that he was bullied as a child for looking super feminine. Which is where his trauma and hatred for women started. And then for him to, like, that be revealed. And then he wakes up in a dress. And it's the three of his close friends trying to get him to admit that he's actually a girl. 
And it gets to a point where he essentially has to, like, strip straight down to prove to Nana that he actually is a guy. Which it doesn't matter what he's got under there. No. He can say his gender and other people can believe it. The whole time, too. I actually, because I remember I read that chapter and I was like, this could totally be a trans narrative. It reads like, like it is a trans narrative. Just Husky being always mistaken for a girl and hating it and being really uncomfortable with feminine things and... Mm-hmm male attention and everything he just he hates being like associated to these feminine things and he's rejected to it and he wants to present as a male so it just gets to a point where i'm like nana if he presents as a male and refers to himself as a guy just let him be a guy like why are you forcing him and this is not in the cultural zeitgeist yet which isn't an excuse because trans people have always existed but I remember when I first read it, I was just kind of, like, weird, and now I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I don't remember what my initial reaction was when I first read this, but definitely rereading it again for, like, this podcast, I was like, oh, I do not like mm-hmm. this chapter at all. Oh, this is uncomfortable. Oh, I do not like this. That was, like, the one moment where I was like, wow, I really do not like at all this group, what is happening, because they're yeah. very much betraying Husky's trust by forcing him into something that he is clearly uncomfortable with. Yeah. So it's just a weird. I think it was supposed to be comedy. It's just a weird one-off yeah, chapter. Yeah, that's the thing. Is it's like this one-off chapter that's very much supposed to be a comedic episodic episode, right? Or like side episode away from the main plot, but it's like very much not funny mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, so that's, that, so that's chapter. that chapter. But yeah, I really do like the way the characters play off of each other for masculinity mm-hmm. and femininity. I think. Whether intentional or not, it's a good commentary on children kind of exploring their gender and discovering what level of presentation they're comfortable with. Yeah, I could agree to that. Mm-hmm. Do we want to move into the childhood? Yeah, so if you want to get really deep with this series, which it doesn't have to be, it can just be totally surface level kids with magical animal powers. But if you want to try to explore what plus animas represent, um, mm-hmm. so there is the racism thing which is a clumsy metaphor that a lot of people do when they have magic powers or something and they want to other the Or like characters. a fantasy setting. Yeah. But yeah. Plus Anima also goes into the idea that your anima is something you gain in a moment of childhood trauma and it's a way that children survive. And as you kind of grow up and you find yourself and you're happy with where you're at, you lose it. It can be seen as sort of an analogy for childhood itself. And you can see some adult characters who still have plus anima, but those are always the characters who are still really holding on to the things that have happened to them in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And when you don't need it anymore, it goes away. And there's a part at the end where they're deciding whether to surgically take it away or not, because Fly tells them that they can get it. Mm-hmm. Surgically taken away. Um, doesn't even consider it for Senri, which is good, because it's culturally important for him. Um, But Husky and Nana think about it, and then they decide, like, no, I I like this because it's the thing that brought me my friends, and it's the thing that allowed me to survive, even though Mm -hmm. it's been hard. It's what's allowed me to keep going, which is interesting, because that's something that happens with children. Their trauma responses keep them alive while they're still going through that, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when they grow up, 
and can kind of grow out of that. That's a thing you have to unlearn and you have to get used to. But also just the idea that it can bring you closer to other people and that maybe the friends you make in childhood are very important. Would you agree, Al? Would you agree mm -hmm. that the friends you make when you're a child are <laughs> the most important, maybe? I agree with like that. Maybe even, oh, like, like I maybe think... even like the most important best friend. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> oh, like this definitely so ties sweet. into. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, yeah, that definitely ties into like what I was was saying was um the overall theme of the series seems to very much be about survival mm -hmm. you have um these kids who have been placed in situations that they've had to evolve in order to survive mm -hmm. and then by evolving in order to survive they find themselves running against society as a whole they're on the outside when they were on the inside of society and it's a strange position because they needed those things in order to survive. They wouldn't be there if they didn't. Mm -hmm. But they're also now being ostracized because of it. So they have to kind of, like, find peace within themselves. Yeah. Both of how they fit within society and how they deal with their trauma. And they, ultimately, they decide they're happier for it. There's a part mm -hmm. where Kuro is talking to Kazana and Kazana's, like, asking him, will my plus anima go away if I'm happier and if I'm fulfilled, and Kuro says, mm -hmm. I don't know, doesn't fulfilled mean you're happy? I'm happy right now. But if you're taking it back into the childhood analogy, right? Like, just the idea that childhood is precious and important, and you can grow with it, and you can leave it behind, but it's something to be treasured in the moment. Yeah. And then, what was another thing? Because I was talking about survival, was I wanted to talk about the um, chapter with Shadow. Yeah. Because... So the side chapter with Shadow is Shadow is this guy who is trying to create a glider that will allow him to fly up the mountainside during a storm to bring medicine to his family mm -hmm. because there was an incident before where they couldn't get like down the mountain in time to get medicine and ended up losing um, what is later revealed to be goats, which is their livelihood. Goats. <laughs> yeah, you think it's his family. And <laughs> but, then it's, it's, it's in the like beginning goats. where all the chapters are kind of silly and don't run into each mm -hmm. other. Yeah. And then this is one where, like, Koro meets him and Shadow thinks he's just another human being. And before he's been, like, laughed by the villagers because they think it's stupid that he's trying to create this glider and then that it's ridiculous and whatnot. But Koro takes a real interest in it and part of it has to do because it, like, relates to his ability to mm -hmm. fly. Kuro's always very proud of, of the fact that he can fly and he loves his plus anima. Mm -hmm. And then when Shadow finds out that Koro is a plus anima, he gets upset because Koro has this ability to fly up the mountain during a storm which is something that he needs in order to survive mm -hmm. and he's upset because he feels like Koro is almost mocking him by helping him create the glider mm -hmm. and the plus anima is something that Koro and the others have obtained in order to survive and they're ostracized by the other people some of it is because they're feared because they have inhuman abilities. Yeah, there's a part where they talk about how the military, if they realize that they're strong, mm -hmm. they can overthrow the military, and so the military is mm -hmm. kind of afraid of them. The plus anima are, are ostracized because the people are afraid of them. I think it's also because some people are almost jealous of them, because they have survival abilities now that they don't have. Yeah, they're able to adapt and survive. Mm -hmm. The first time for me that it really hit me that this was... A survival thing was there was this weird very long arc called the maggie coliseum arc yes, yeah i love that one it's very good it's it's very interesting because it plays on all of their characters where they're in this town where this lady named maggie has people fight and you bet on the fights mm -hmm. 
Um, and she has a younger daughter who's named Magdala, I think. Yeah, because it's like the history of the city is that you had a person named Maggie who created the city. And then like each of her descendants are named yeah. Maggie. A lot of these arcs in the beginning feel like fever dreams. but <laughs> So um, Magdala like collects children. So she collects Nana and gives her this home this place where she can dress up oh, how yeah, she wants like, and have fem- female friends which is something she's not so used she's to like having given shelter she's given food she's given clothes she's given everything she could want everything for. needed to survive but she doesn't right? really know how to deal with that and she doesn't know if it's normal or not because she's never really had friends because she grew up mm-hmm. with just her parents but there's this part where this boy is trying to escape her and she ends up putting her pet lions on him and getting them to knock him around and the boy's freaking Mm -hmm. out and she's just like oh it's fine they're just playing and everybody's like no i think those lions are gonna kill him and then he kind of in his moment of desperation transforms into Mm -hmm. a bird and flies away and it's the end of the arc and it's very startling just to really witness firsthand how this happened and that's kind of i find that's really where the series finds itself Mm -hmm. and starts to take off because now you know like (laughs) kind of what causes the plus animal but there's a really interesting (laughs) there's a really interesting page where it's uh magdala is collecting these children as her friends and anybody who tries to leave is essentially punished like the boy is the thing is though is that when she gets bored with a friend they're kind of cast aside but Mm. there is a scene where magdala has gone off to invite um husky and koro to join as like her bodyguards or something yeah and Nana is left alone with the group of girls and she wants to leave and the girls tell her no but she decides she's gonna go and find the other guy so she goes over and she opens up the door and she kind of reflects about how the door is unlocked but it's not the door that keeps the kids there it's the pretty dresses delicious food and a warm bed that forms the cage in which keeps them trapped yeah and then she kind of wonders of that if she wasn't a plus anima and she didn't have um, Koro in the group, if she would have been able to open that door and leave. Oh, friendship. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. There's a lot of kids who have lost their way in this series. It's very troubling. You said that was one of your favorite arcs. Do you have a favorite kind of section of the series? Um, I think my favorite arcs is definitely the fourth volume with, like, the main Coliseum arc. And the final arc. Yeah, the final arc is so good. Like, I just love Should, I the wanna, final arc. Do you want to talk about it just because it's so good? <laughs> um, it's Kuro's character arc, where you find yeah. out that this whole time he's been with his friends, it's because he has a special ability to sense other plus anima, even when they're not transformed. Mm-hmm. And so this king's nephew, Fly, just kind of found him alone at an orphanage as a kid, and set him up on this journey and he's Kuro so he's so flippant and he doesn't care and Fly's like oh can I have your wings someday and he's eating and was like yeah sure whatever and <laughs> Fly takes that as a promise and it's very dark and it's very Fly is a very creepy yeah because he acts all happy and he acts like he's doing the right thing but he does some genuinely terrifying stuff um, like, she's doing, like, human experimentation, and just, like, the way he acts around, like, these small children, it's just, it's very creepy. Yeah. So it turns I out his like thing is he's collecting people's animas so he can put it into this angel he built called 
Blanca? Uh, he didn't create the angel. It was other researchers in the past created the angel. They made a fake child. And then, so the angel is a human-made human, scientifically made. I don't know what the term is. <laughs> so we're no, break it's like um, an artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's type it's made in a lab. A laboratory yeah, specimen. Yeah. Yeah. And then he wants Kuro's and wings so that he can fly with him. her, which is so creepy. So you have, like, the angel, um, which was a scientific experimentation from other researchers. And then it was him and his um, mentor who put all of the plus right. anima into her. And then his mentor turned into a rat man, a little garbage man who crawls <laughs> on the walls eating trash. Because of an experimentation that went wrong when they tried to um, artificially insert a plus anima into a human being. Uh-huh. And then they figured out how, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do it. And then he wants to take Nana and Husky's plus animas, and mm-hmm. he lets them go when they decide they don't want to, and his reasoning is, oh yeah, it doesn't work if they don't willingly give it anyway. Which implies that he's tried before to just take it without permission, which yeah. is so creepy. Um, and in the end, Kuro doesn't have his anima anymore, and he's standing on the hill where it turns out he was born a plus anima, but only because the village has this tradition where if people die, they let the crows eat their body, which is um, how I die every day, I think. And um, <laughs> so his mom was pregnant with him and died, mm-hmm. and then the crows kind of ate him out of her, which is so gross. And he got their wings and that's how he survived because yeah he wanted to live and then that's why he was like a plus anima since birth was Mm -hmm. because he turned into a plus anima at like a very 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 young age literally as he was born Mm -hmm. and then he loses his anima to fly and he's standing on the hill all sad because his friends have found out that it was a betrayal even though it wasn't really it was one of those misunderstandings those 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 misunderstandings i hate (laughs) where it's like you start out with bad intentions, but then slowly you really grow to love the person or the friend group, and mm-hmm. he didn't mean it anymore. And then they all find him, and he's, I don't even know, he's, the crows are giving him another anima, and he's yeah. just flying away in depression, and then Husky kind of grabs him, and they all chase after him and take him back mm-hmm. to Earth. And then they go off to live with this old man. Yeah, in the Mr. Harden, which is met. the worst name for an old man. <laughs> Which they met uh, previously. Yeah, he was I a random one-off one off character in a one-off chapter, but I guess he wants to adopt four children. That was a children. really funny chapter, It was. Though. I really liked it. We can't talk about all the chapters and explain how they all went, but no, it was great. And it was like a really great... If anybody's listening to this, they should... I would say you should read Plus Anima, but it's impossible to. So you know what? <laughs> Forget it. Forget I said anything. <laughs> Unless... Just, like, appreciate this little episode that exists on the internet where we express our love for this series that is super <laughs> I'm adequate. sure there are lots of people who were also handed it in a manila envelope by a mafia boss and read it as <laughs> children because it was the first on the mafia boss registry that is alphabetical <laughs> so we can't be the only ones i know my cousin read it independently so i know it's one of those series where i feel like if you were into manga in, like, the early 2000s, you probably heard of it or maybe have read it. Because I remember that one time when we were at, like, at a convention and I found some of the volumes. Or, like, I mentioned to one of the people there that I was looking for some volumes and he was like, I remember that yeah, series. It's I totally forgot about that series until you told me about Aww. it. Type thing. It's very so, nostalgic. 
It is. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how much I loved like, it until I started reading it. And my heart was so warm. It definitely has its flaws with, mm-hmm. like, some of the themes and some of the story elements that it introduces. Yeah. But it really is just such a heartwarming. And there's, like, a whole bunch of characters that we never even talked to that, like, pop up. And you're yeah. just really lovable and great. There's so many characters. But it's really just... The heart of it is the four main kids, and they're all Mm -hmm. wonderful, and I love them very much. It is what I would call a problematic fave. Yeah. (laughs) I can remember that. (laughs) That's my assessment. Any other overall thoughts you wanted to add? Um, I don't have a favorite character. That's weird. Do you have a favorite character? Oh, yeah, we never did. Um, I just love them all. All four of them. I know when I first read it, I really liked Husky. Yeah. But I think in love general, I love all four of them in a sense. Yeah. I yeah. I think my favorite was, and probably just like by a half a percent still is Kuro. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I've also yeah. really learned to love Nana. And of course the other two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's... It's such a great series. It's one of those series where you're like, you're reading it. And then at one point it just hits you just how much you love these yeah. characters. Yeah. It's okay. It's Maddie Bait. It's got all the things that I love. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. Shall I introduce the Yeah, uh, me. I'm so excited. Month? What's it going to be? So, since we're getting into like that time of year that's about endings and beginnings, I thought we should read a manga that is also about endings and beginnings. So, the next one we're going to be reading is um We Were There by Yuki Obata. Oh. I don't know this yeah. one very well. I know you talk about it. No, we I've talked there. about it. It has similar vibes to Sand Chronicles, <gasps> so I think you might enjoy oh, this. you know we love a Sand Chronicles. Mm-hmm. All right, that's very exciting. I'm excited. Thank you yep. for talking to me today. <laughs> uh, this has been Behold Manga. Our theme music is Strawberry Flavor Love by Daystar, and you can find the link in our episode description. And as always, stop! You're You're reading reading in the the wrong wrong direction. direction.